Well, hello, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to share with you stories that empower you to do, to be, to achieve, and to impact more through your life. Maybe more simply said, I'm fired up to share with you stories that help you live inspired. After today's episode, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at podcast at johnolearyinspires.com with your feedback, maybe your guest suggestions for future shows, stories on how this podcast has helped you live more inspired, or questions that you have for me. Again, send that email to me at podcast at johnolearyinspires.com. And now, let's get started with today's episode. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. I have a question for you to answer today before we jump into the conversation. Here it is. Ready? What's your boulder? Yeah, that's right. What is your boulder? What is that thing, that challenge, that cross, that thing that we just can't quite move through, get over, jump past, that obstacle that keeps blocking you from becoming the best version of yourself? Maybe it's as a spouse, as a friend, as a leader, as a servant, son or daughter. What keeps you from becoming the best version of yourself? Well, our guest today knows quite a bit about moving boulders. This gentleman grew up in Queens, New York, and was an entrepreneur by the ripe age of eight years old. Today, he's the founder and the CEO of Spartan. Spartan is the world's leading obstacle racing company. It's also the fastest growing sports movement in the world. He had a vision of getting 100 million people off their couches and engaged in life. And he only has 95 million more to go. It's an amazing story of overcoming, of moving boulders, and of becoming the best version of yourself. So my friends, I encourage you right now to open up your hearts Open wide your minds, get your workout shoes on. You will need them laced up tightly and get ready to move some boulders as I introduce you to my friend, his name, Joe DeSena. Joe, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thanks for having me. Joe, as you know, and as you just heard, I am a huge fan of your work and of your impact. For those who somehow mysteriously do not yet know what you're doing professionally today, will you give us a snapshot of what you're up to? Yeah, basically, I try to inspire people. I try to get them uh, going, try to get them sweating. I was up at 5 a.m. this morning going up and down stairs with a kettlebell. <laughs> and I want everybody doing that because you can't live to your fullest each day unless you've got a good sweat on, unless you ate healthy, took a nice cold shower. Otherwise, you're just kind of sleepwalking through life. And, and I know this because we're in 42 countries with this brand Spartan. We put on 275 events. I meet hundreds of thousands of people personally, and most people uh, need an accountability partner. They need somebody like us uh, that is there with the alarm clock, waking you up, ripping you out of bed, and holding you accountable so you can be the best version of yourself. So that's what we attempt to do around the world, and my goal is to do this for 100 million people. 
So we're going to talk momentarily about the 275 events and the 42 countries and the millions impacted and the one life by one life by one life that you're touching. But I'm going to back up the train just a little bit. I, I love your origin story. I love your mom and dad, man. I love them both for separate reasons. They're very different people and somehow the yin and the yang play together. Talk about dad for a moment. Dad was a workaholic, absolute maniac, um, self-made, roll up your sleeves, do whatever has to be done to get ahead. First generation Italian, uh, brother was in jail for a long time. And most of the people around him did things that they had to do were not necessarily legal. So we, he was smart enough to be on the bubble and give me advice that like, with the amount of energy, Joe, and the amount of time that these guys put into stuff, like you better off doing it legitimately. Mm -hmm. And he just pounded that into my head. But the lore and the excitement and the fact that these guys around him and around the neighborhood have beautiful cars, money, respect, clothes, couldn't help but pull a young person in that direction. So he was, uh, he got after it, got over levered, like a lot of people, late 80s, and his business uh, completely turned upside down. But for a guy from the street, you know, uh, at his peak, mid-80s, he had, you know, I don't know, $16, 17000000 million worth of real estate. It was a big deal back then. So you got to hand it to him. I don't remember any moment ever where he wasn't on a phone or hustling mm. or driving a truck or working. Didn't eat healthy, didn't take care of himself, and ultimately died. What do you think motivated him to work as hard as he did and to uh, keep picking himself back up as life kept knocking him back down? He definitely had a little Spartan in him. Um, I think, you know, coming from Queens and Brooklyn, at a very young age, you started to, to build a shell, a resiliency shell. And so I think he was no different, certainly in his time period and, and any of our dads or grandparents' time period. It was, just, it was tougher times. There were tougher people. And he, I don't know, he just had that hustle in him. And he wanted to get ahead. He probably had visions of having a family that lived in the suburbs and had a swimming pool and had all those nice things. That was the American dream. And he didn't want to go to jail, I think. I think he wanted to do it legit. And he did. And he guided me right. The major flaw, the big failure he had was you can't play at that level. You can't play pro in business at that level 24-7 for decades and not be fueling yourself correctly with, with, with nutrition and, and, and training and sleep. You just can't do it. It eventually uh, breaks you and it broke him. Someone who knew how to refuel herself was your mother. Did she talk a lot to your dad about, hey, baby, you got to take care of yourself? Or was it, no, that's him. He's going to do his thing and I'm going to do my thing over here. Hard for your listeners to understand this, I think. But take your mind back to the 1970s somehow. Think about some movies or books you read or whatever. But it's 1970s, Queens, Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> There's a bunch of wise guys around. Every single meal is, is cannolis and raviolis and meatballs. No one is talking about yoga journals or whole foods or wheat germ or whatever, right? That <laughs> just was not even understood or talked about. And so enter my mom, who's into all these new age diets and, and has all these nutritional preferences and meditating and fasting and shouldn't have negative thoughts and monks chanting in the living room. <laughs> like she, she is a crackpot. Like who right. would possibly align with her? She doesn't have money. She doesn't have a Cadillac. She doesn't uh, whack people for a living. <laughs> so like she's a nutcase. And so as a kid, 
myself, my sister, the neighbors, my, like no one wanted, like that was crazy talk. And, and so as far as talking to my dad, you know, if he came in with like sausage and peppers and wanted to uh, have a family uh, dinner, she'd throw him out of the house (laughs) because like that, that food's not coming in the house. So very quickly there was a divide and, you know, you fast forward 35, 40 years, she was right. Everybody else was wrong. She was right. There's a lot to be learned in that, isn't there? That uh, the, the pain and the unpopularity of today may in time pay off massively as you look forward 10, 20, 35 years ahead. You've got to have the fortitude to stick with it if you know it's right. On the one hand, on the other hand, I say to myself, look, I, I truly believe, I'll, I'll give you my own personal example I go through now, I truly believe having our kids, my wife and I's kids, studying, speaking Mandarin every single day, training every single day, eating healthy, going to bed early. Like I truly believe those things uh, are the difference. There's mm-hmm. a slight little edge, but to fight everybody on it. And, and, and by the way, like this is not extreme stuff, going to mm-hmm. bed early, speaking another language, right? Not like my mom in the seventies, but I got to fight everybody on it. I got to fight the kids because the kids don't want to go to bed early. They don't want to eat healthy. They don't want to speak Mandarin. Like, <laughs> I got to fight all the adults. Oh, it's a birthday. It's the weekend. It's this, it's that. So my mom had 100x those fights, so much so that they got divorced. She had to move five hours away to a place that was a little more accepting to this kind of thinking. So to be able to stay the course uh, when you know it's right and fight everybody around you, and not only for yourself, but for your kids, right? Like pretty amazing. Well, I think one of the places you learned to fight uh, was with your dad landscaping. And there's a story I've heard you share a couple times about a boulder. Would, would you share that with our audience today, Joe? Yeah, true story. Um, dad, it was, it was when my dad was doing well. I can't even tell you how many trees I planted, how much grass I put down, how much sheetrock I hung. But if you went over my, if my friend showed up to come see me and we were going to, let's say, go to the movies or, or do something, somehow when my friends walked in the house, they got handed a screw gun and a broom. <laughs> and instead of doing the thing that we were planning on doing, we were like rebuilding a, a room We were hang, and, and we enjoyed it. I have no idea how that would happen. Anyway, one day I got a shovel in my hand and I'm helping my dad with some planting or something. And he says, you got to move that boulder. And I worked on this boulder for, had to be four or five hours, six hours. I, and I couldn't move it. There's no way. And so I finally went back to him, slightly embarrassed. I can't do it. Can't move it. And he said, oh, that's no trouble. I'll get somebody who can. Mm. And that sentence, that moment was like, just changed my life because it was like, well, if somebody else could do it, I'm going to do it. And I went back at it and it almost sounds like a fable, but it was a game changer for me. And then another one, after they got divorced, my mom's now living in Ithaca. She's got uh, very little money because she doesn't have my dad's money anymore. She's going to buy a Chevy, the least expensive model they have, but next door is a BMW dealership. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at the BMW. Mom, couldn't we? Well, you can get one of those, but you gotta get a job, you gotta work. You can get anything you want if you work. And that sentence, I mean, I guess with children, you never know the sentence that's gonna click with the kid, right? You could, you can give them 5,000 sentences, but there's one. And that one just stuck. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm just gonna work for it. Well, you, uh, you heard it, man. You started working. One of the businesses you began, that pool cleaning business, and I understand it started with your neighbor, this uh, fairly connected guy. So talk about him and talk about what it led to. My neighbor was the boss, <laughs> the big boss. 
And but I didn't know it at, at a young age. And, and my now, dad was j- just told, for clarity's sake, this is not exaggeration. This is not like uh, the story growing over time. This is the truth, correct? No, no, no. This is <laughs> there's no. I just happened to. You never know who your parents are going to be, and you don't know where you're going to grow up. I just completely random happened to grow up in this place that was organized crime capital of the world. So four of the five mob family bosses lived in this neighborhood called Howard Beach, Queens, little 5,000 home neighborhood. And then because the bosses were there, well, then uh, the underbosses uh, showed up. And before you know it, the place was just populated (laughs) with organized crime. Anyway, my neighbor, my direct neighbor right next door was the boss, the big boss of the Banana Organized Crime Family. Just around the corner was the number two in command for the Gambino Crime Family. Three blocks away were, was not only John Gotti, but every every Gotti was, was there. Um, go go seven blocks, Vicka Muso, the, the head of the Lucchese family. You name it, they were there. If you were the, if you were the feds and you wanted to lock everybody, all you had to do was tap one phone line. You had, you know, one <laughs> phone line going in, you had everybody, one shot. Anyway, it's going to sound crazy, and I apologize in advance, but he was a great guy for me. I didn't know really who he was. He had you know, the biggest house on the block, um, nicest cars, and all he did was eat. So there was always food coming into the house and, and always inviting us over, and he saw what was going on in my family. My dad was going through tough times. Parents got divorced, and he said, uh, why don't you come clean my pool? I'll pay you $35. A week, and he started to teach me my first business lessons. Like you're going to come at 8 a.m. on Saturday, you should be there at 7:45. On time is late. Even though I didn't really know who he was, you kind of, you know, I can't, I can't get into my mindset uh, at mm-hmm. 11, you know, years old. But, but y- you knew enough that you had to respect the guy. If I'm going to pay you to clean the pool, you should also straighten up the lawn furniture around the pool. You should straighten up uh, the shed. You should make yourself invaluable. When I come home and I see that you were here. I can't live without your services, right? Never ask for the money. Don't worry, you'll get paid when you're supposed to get paid. Don't have your hand out. All these little uh, tips from the most unlikely place, but it worked. And before you know it, he recommended me to the next guy and the next guy and the next guy because they trusted me. By the time I graduated college, I had 700 customers, most of which were, were these guys. And it was awesome. I mean, you would, you, it was a $35 job to clean the pool and they give you a $100 tip. In, in some instances. And then before you know it, because they trust in your backyard, you're pouring cement and you're doing construction work for them. And then you're rebuilding a house. And then you name it, we were doing, we were doing lots and lots of work by the time I was in my you know, 20, 21 years old. Basically was able to pay for college. I, you know, I had nothing negative to say about it. Matter of fact, I aspired to be connected right. with all of them. I didn't, I didn't want to run. You know, my mom, again, was the furthest... I didn't want anything to do with, I didn't want to hang out with monks and chant and eat celery. I, yeah, I didn't want any of that. Give me the pasta. Um, I wanted I, I wanted pasta. I wanted meatballs. I wanted, I wanted to be with the big shots. Well, you, you've got this crazy, wonderful, big high school and college business, 750 pools that you're taking care of, a construction business that grows out of it. You make it into Cornell. It's a great story. We'll come back to it maybe later on if we have time. You eventually move into Wall Street how does a kid from Queens who has been cleaning pools for the majority of his life and moving boulders end up on Wall Street? I'm at Cornell. Uh, I fought my way in. I, I wasn't smart enough. My grades weren't good enough. So that's another whole story. Yeah. And I'm graduating, and I meet through my friend's girlfriend's dad, was Italian, managed a lot of money uh, in finance, 
So he was uh, the equivalent of what I grew up around, but in a legitimate way. He was a big shot, right? Mm -hmm. He managed a billion dollars. And I, I wanted to get to know him because my dad had taught me at a very young age. And even my neighbor taught me, like, when you meet people, you quickly figure out how you can help them. Because if you want to make money and you want to get ahead and you want people to like you and recommend, you got to figure out how you could make life, their life easier. So I quickly maneuvered to become friends with this guy and tried to figure out how I could help him. I brought him a bottle of Sambuca, which he still has. So this is, this is uh, 30 years. He still, he still has the bottle. He's not a drinker. He takes liking to me, and I, I, I take a liking to him. He becomes a mentor. And he says, get the hell out of the neighborhood. You're going to get, you're going to go nowhere. You got to go on the other side of the river. You got to go to wall street. People are doing the same thing you're doing, same attitude, same hustle, but they're doing it with a pen and it's legal and you can go a lot further. And he begged me for five years. He called me nonstop, begged me to go. And I resisted, I resisted, I resisted, but I finally went and I, I'm very fortunate. I, I, I landed a job and I worked my way up and Caught it at the right time, right place, had a great run, eventually selling the business and meeting my wife, buying a farm in Vermont, and then Spartan was born. And it comes full circle because then, after going to Wall Street, after making some money, after buying the farm, meeting my wife, it's like, hold on a second, everything my mother said was right. Right. All this money chasing and all this stuff, I just, I, I went along full circle. I, sh I could have just avoided it all and stayed with the monks in the living room. What's interesting, Joe, is most people start climbing and they stop to look down or around or even up. They just kind of put their left hand in front of their right and they know they're climbing up and they look for the corner office and they get there at age 62 or whenever. And then they pause to recognize, man, what have I been doing? But the way I read your story and hear it come from your heart is that the, the entire time you were climbing, you had in the back of your mind a picture of that Vermont farm. You weren't sure of the state. You weren't sure what the farmhouse was going to look like, but you knew you were climbing in order to move out to that farm. That was the plan. I wanted to. I wanted to get to the country. I wanted to get a. You know, I wanted to. I didn't want to have all the pressures my family had uh, growing up, and I wanted to get to a farm. But I didn't necessarily. You know, there wasn't a picture of like a vegan uh, plate of food next to that <laughs> barn. <laughs> I, I, but I did want a simpler life, and we ultimately found the barn and the farm in Vermont. Well, you found those things, and then you found what would become the next massive step of your life. How, how did you begin making the pivot from organic farming and slowing down and, and serving the general store and the hikers that came through into what was coming next? My dad, my mom, they were very driven people, all those people I I lived around as a kid, were very driven people. So although the dream was to go to Vermont and slow down, uh, I couldn't slow down. And the general store wasn't enough. The wedding, you know, the farm, it wasn't enough, right? And I, I really enjoyed the physical, so climbing the hill every day, carrying rocks. I just loved it, doing races. And so um, I started inviting friends, Wall Street friends, to come up to the farm. I would have to lie to them in the beginning and say, hey, I'm just doing a barbecue this weekend. We'll hang out. It'll be fun. Wake them up at 5 a.m. on Saturday. You know, they just arrived 11 o'clock at night on Friday. And why are we getting up at 5 a.m. for a barbecue? Oh, don't worry. We got to get to the top of the mountain. That's where the barbecue is. But I was really putting them through, you know, a half a marathon or a marathon in the mountains. <laughs> they didn't know they were the ones being barbecued. <laughs> but that was, that was my initial uh, marketing plan to get people up there and just really enjoying life the way I was. And I wanted, I wanted to share that, you know, it grew, 
hundreds of people and thousands of people and countries. And, and so now here we are. We're very fortunate. We got an unbelievable name. The word Spartan is a yeah. powerful name. And, um, and we do good work. And, uh, and we've got a good mission. We really just want to get people happy. So my high school was DeSmet Jesuit here in St. Louis, Missouri, and our mascot was the Spartans. So I'm familiar with Spartans go. even before reading your books. But for those listeners right now who uh, who may not, you, you said it's a great name. Uh, tell us why, because I think it is a great name, but tell tell our listeners well, why I mean, you think it's a great 20, name. Well, I mean, you've got 2,600 years of history. Just that one word right away says everything about us, right? You just know that it's simpler, it, but it's hard. You're going to sweat. You're going to work, and there's going to be like a reward at the end. There's camaraderie. Like one word just says it all. It means something. No matter what country, what culture, wherever we go, they know the history of that where they were the most advanced. Like they were warriors, right? They trained for 13 plus years to fight. No matter what you think of it, you know, at that time, they did what they had to do. I don't, I don't know if we would be as successful as we are without that word. You mentioned earlier 275 events, 42 countries, millions of lives changed. When did you begin thinking about scaling what you were passionate about? I think very early on. I was trying to figure out, like, how do we how do we generate more revenue? How do we uh, take this a little further? How do we all in an effort to be uh, to sustain the business? And you know, you heard it from me when we first got on the phone. If we're going to do it, let's do it, right? A famous saying that you'll hear from the Buddhist monks, right? When you're going to sleep, sleep. You're going to eat, eat. You're going to work, work. And so um, if we're going to do this, let's do it. So very early on, it was like, let's change 100 million lives. Let's set a big, audacious goal that's going to be really hard to achieve and go for it. When you say change a couple hundred million lives, these massive numbers that were change, how how does Spartan inspire, change, connect? How, How does it benefit the individuals who participate in it? I try to explain to people. Let's think about college or, or even high school or any classroom. If human beings could do it on their own, in other words, if we didn't have any flaws as human beings and we just woke up in the morning with goals and we achieved our goals on our own, no uh, motivation, no help, we wouldn't need things like Spartan. But the reality is if you think about high school or college, there's a professor there and he tells you when tests are going to come. They're, they're on a calendar. He tells you when papers are due, they're on a calendar. And then there's a punishment or a reward if you hit those targets, right? If you deliver that paper on mm-hmm. time. And if there wasn't a professor and there was no calendar, how many people would actually do the work? Nobody. Nobody, maybe a few. What Spartan does is we put that date on the calendar for you and we become your account- accountability partner. So much so that you start going to bed earlier. Mm-hmm. You start waking up earlier. You put down that extra glass of wine. You put down that cookie. Right, you run an extra mile. Uh, without that, doesn't really work. And if it did, I mean, take a look at gyms. The gym industry is famous for this, right? Eighty percent of people don't even go. Mm-hmm. They just pay for membership. How many people will sign up for a New Year's resolution? They're going to change this. Gonna, six weeks later, forget it. It's gone. New diet. How many new diets have people been through? Don't do it. But when you, but when you are going to meet your friends at this event, that's going to require upper body strength, lower body strength, crawling, climbing, swimming, running. Like, you better get your together. Does that make sense? It's terrifying. So uh, let me ask questions on behalf of all of our listeners. It doesn't sound like it's for me, Joe. It, it sounds like it's for the ultra marathoners, the guys and ladies who are already in the gym at 5 a.m., not for the ordinary average Joes out there who are uh, working and taking care of families and moving toward retirement and just trying to get by throughout our days. 
So help educate me and our listeners on uh, who Spartan is for. I I loved Henry Ford, right? Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you'll be right. And so I guess my answer would be human beings have been on the planet for over a million years, over one million years. For most of those years, Spartan would have been considered a joke. Literally, for 99.9% of those years, if you took any of the human beings on the planet and said, oh, we're going to do this tough thing, it was a tough thing. Like, breakfast was harder than that. I had to go kill an animal, right? Right. So it's only in the last 100 years that we've gotten soft. And only the last 30, now we got Netflix. We, we order food and Uber. So not for you. It was, it was for every single ancestor you had from the beginning of time. And so if you don't do stuff like this, you're going to end up like my dad. Mm. I don't know. I kind of like it on this planet. I like feeling healthy and fit. I like being full of energy. And, and that happens, not by accident, that happens based on the way you live. Mm-hmm. So get outside, get connected, sweat, run, jump, crawl, use your body the way it was meant. How many people do I, I need? Hundreds of thousands of people. Oh, my back hurts. Oh, I can't run because of my feet. Oh, I'm not a good, like, are you kidding me? There would be no human race if we couldn't run and crawl and climb and had back pain. Like, no, we, the only reason you have all that is because you're inactive. In high school, Joe, when we were punished, and it was frequent where I went to high school, we did a, a little exercise called burpees in the front of the classroom. And uh, that was the teacher's way of getting the revenge against us. And it worked. Uh, you, however, don't view it as a punishment. You view it as an opportunity to wake up and to get ready for the day and get ready for life. Tell our listeners what that exercise is and why it matters you to you. You get to do burpees. You get to do burpees. Listen, movement and circulation are, are uh, two most important things for life. And so um, the burpee, the burpee is very much like cleaning the swimming pool. I clean a lot of pools in my day. A swimming pool has a pump and a filter. The human body has a pump and a filter, the heart, the lungs, the kidneys, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. The, the swimming pool has 20,000 gallons of water. The human body's a little smaller. It's got, you know, 8, 10, 13 gallons of water. We're expecting this tiny little swimming pool, our body, with this pump and filter to process French fries, coffee, hamburgers, gar- all day long, every day. If you took half the stuff we ate and put it in a swimming pool, the pool would turn green pretty quickly. And if you turn the filter and the pump off, the pool would turn green even quicker. You're putting all this junk in this tiny little swimming pool and you're not running the pump and filter, you better do some burpees. (laughs) That's like me showing up to clean the pool. You better go for a run. You better sweat. So the burpee is just the most efficient way to get the blood moving and get the filter going and the pump humming. Joe, where, where do we begin, man? You're on my podcast. You've done a lot of other shows. You do a lot of speaking. You've written some outstanding books. When someone finishes a book, finishes hearing you speak, finishes hearing you share your story, your heart on a podcast, what do you hope they do next? Sign up. Sign up for a race. Um, Not because I'm looking to make $100 from you, but sign up because if you don't get – look, it doesn't even have to be a Spartan race. Just make sure it's something hard. Sign up for something hard where you're going to be held accountable, where other friends are doing it, and maybe – well, actually – more, more likely than maybe, you will start changing your habits and those habits will become healthier and you're going to feel better and you will thank me. And if you don't have the money, email me, joe at spartan.com. I'll give you an entry. I could even send a van to your house. <laughs> send a van to your house at 4 a.m., wake you up and, and get you moving because that's what I do. I feel people getting ready to uh, let the excuses they were about to make begin 
passing away. I read a book years and years ago called Change or Die. I love it. It's a great book. Three ways to make change. Like they're required to make long-term, permanent, effective, impactful change. And the third was the change has to be actually very hard. A lot of research around this, but one of the examples I remember was if you if a doctor gives a patient a pill, they'll actually stop taking the pill because they find it's just too easy. And as soon as they start feeling a little bit better, they, they stop popping pills. But if it's really, 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 really hard, the patient's actually more likely to keep going with this and to make the change required to live. Joe, you're kind of an expert on this. Why do you think the change, the exercise routine, the Spartan race has to be hard for us to actually participate in it? I think if it's easy, to your point, it's not going to be respected by yourself and by your friends. I think when you do something hard, it, it, you feel rewarding. It's very rewarding for you. You're able to brag about it to friends, which, which again, gives you more excitement, whether it should or not, it's a different discussion. But uh, you're not going to go to a party with friends and say, oh, I've got this pill. And they, like, no, you're not, right? That's not going to be the discussion. I just, I just completed the Spartan race. I just ran a marathon. I just carried a sandbag up and down those stairs. Those are things you become proud of. And, and then you start to define yourself as a Spartan as opposed to defining yourself as a worker in a cubicle that's unhealthy. I mean, you could go do yoga every day. It doesn't have to be Spartan, right? It could be, I, I, you know, I, well, running's not enough, so so don't define yourself just as a runner. It's not enough. You gotta you gotta move your whole body. Just running from the lion wasn't enough. That you had to actually wrestle it too. Mm-hmm. Well said. Your children that you're raising in Vermont are looking up at you occasionally from what you've shared before, almost looking down on you because they are incredibly fit. As they watch you go through life, you learned a lot from your mom and dad, uh, both on what to do and also what not to do. What do you hope that your kids are learning as they watch you? I hope that they're learning it. Uh, there's no way around it. Uh, you've got to do the work. There's just no way around it. And you've got to get to a place where you actually enjoy the work, whether it's learning another language, whether it's building a business, whether it's family, whatever it is, requires work, requires you to get up early and just push forward. There's no other way around it. I hope if they get nothing else, they get that. You've got a, a good friend named Leo. Leo weighs about 40 pounds. Tell our uh, our listeners who Leo is and why you travel with him. Leo is my kettlebell. I <laughs> carry him around, and he's a nightmare. He never gets lighter. He never carries himself. Um, I carried him this morning up and down the stairs at Harvard. But I do it because when I put it down, it makes me appreciate that moment. So, you know, happiness is wanting what you have. And one way to want what you have is to throw a couple obstacles in front of yourself every day. Uh, could be the cold shower, could be the burpees, could be carrying a kettlebell, could be fasting, whatever it is. If you go through a little bit of those tough moments, tough hours, tough days, you start to appreciate what you have. As you look forward, Joe, letting go of Leo just for a moment, what do you hope happens next? As you look out, what does success look like? I hope we're in the Olympics. I hope Spartan is a, an Olympic sport. And I hope we can reverse the trends around health and wellness and we can get kids moving. Now, wouldn't it be awesome? If all the principals and all the schools in the United States, or maybe someday around the world, said, uh, sorry, kids, can't come in through the front door until you've done 30 burpees. Sorry, kids, can't leave the school until you've done 30 burpees. Sorry, kids, we're not doing junk food anymore. Eat your broccoli, eat your salad. Like, that would be friggin' amazing. Hmm. Wouldn't it be amazing, too, I say, like, for you to get a marriage certificate, what they should do, they should make you and your soon-to-be bride or, or husband, you, you should have to go do 100 miles together before you get the marriage certificate. And if you want to get divorced, you should have to do 200 miles together <laughs> to get a divorce. 
I think I know the answer to these these uh, points that you're putting out there, but tell me why you think it's important that a couple would do 100 miles together before getting married and do 200 miles together before getting divorced. You got to do tough things together to really build a bond. And then there's got to be serious consequences for you to fail that commitment. And if, if it's not, and if it's easy to get out of things, well, then people just get out of things. Grass is always greener. Let's make some consequences. And then I say, and money's not enough, right? It's not enough that in a divorce they split money. But you got to go do 200 miles together. Who knows? You might reconcile out there. Mm. Joe, on every podcast, we begin moving toward the finish line together. The high five moment at the end was seven questions that tie all of our guests together. We call them the Live Inspired Seven. Uh, the very first question, what's the best book you've ever read? Mm, best book I ever read, I would say, is Atlas Shrugged and Rand. You got through that beast, huh? Yeah, I love I love uh, Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. Awesome. What What's one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a child that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? I guess as a child, I probably relaxed a little more. Mm. Um, and I don't relax at all now. I'm normally going to bounce right into the next question, but I think that piece is so important in a society that cannot relax. No one's relaxing. You left Manhattan, you left the skyscrapers, you left Wall Street to find peace. Uh, are, you, are you able to find it in Vermont or in Boston or around the world? And, and, and if so, how? No, I can, but I just feel like we've got a lot of work to do. You know, it's like every morning, 5 a.m., somebody's got to make the donuts. <laughs> so I, just, I just can't stop. I got the mission. Joe, if, you're, if your home caught fire and all living things, your children, your bride, your animals were all out and you had an opportunity to run in and grab one item, what's the one item you would grab? Tough one. I got four kids and a bride. They're out. They're, grab them. they're safe. They're on the, oh, they're on they're the not, sidewalk. Oh, they're not right in now. No, they're not in anymore. Oh, one, one item. I guess, and I'm actually visualizing my farmhouse right mm -hmm. now. I guess I'm running in. The only thing I can think, I'm grabbing my computer. <laughs> I guess I'm get my computer so I can get back to emailing if my family's happy. Right, right back to work. Here we go. Joe, if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead, who would you want seated right next to you? Shackleton. Wow. Talk about Shackleton. That's a name I wasn't expecting and uh, a guy I respect. So talk about Shackleton. Just an animal. Right, takes takes his men down, gets stuck in the ice in their boat, and for two years doesn't lose a man. Uh, possesses incredible leadership skills and somehow gets through that really rugged time. I want I want to learn more. I want to dive deeper into that. Isn't Shackleton the one who posted the ad too about uh, uh, apply yeah. for this job and it, the return unlikely? It goes on from there. Yeah, low rations, complete darkness, return unlikely. Five thousand people showed up for the job. Uh, Spartan race, I think, has a bit of that in it, doesn't it? Yeah. What, what's the best advice you've ever received? Best advice I ever received. I, I told you I love this quote, happiness is wanting what you have. I love that quote. I wrote it down, man. Happiness is wanting what you have. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Patience. <laughs> Joe DeSena, it has been said that all great Spartans can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? If it was on like chiseled into a stone uh, tombstone? Yeah. One sentence. Here's a man who worked hard, tried hard. That's it. Worked hard. That's it. 
Uh, Joe, you tried harder than I think anyone I've ever had on the show, and we've had some lions on these episodes in the past. I want to thank you for getting us off the couch, for extinguishing our excuses, and for reminding us the best days remain in front of us, but you got to fight for them. No problem. Well, Joe, thank you for reminding us today that happiness is wanting what you have. That's an awesome reminder. My friends, that is Joe DeSena. This is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Run the good race and live inspired. My friends, thank you so much for listening to today's Live Inspire podcast. I hope you share with your friends, your family, your colleagues, your letter carrier, your dog walker, that stranger seated next to you on the bus ride, that lady working out right next to you, the guy checking out in front of you. In other words, share with everyone that you're listening and that you are subscribing to the Live Inspired podcast together as a Live Inspired community. And yes, that includes you. You are part of this community. Together, we can change the world. I can't wait to share with you the next episode.